The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the New Testament Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter number 1. Appreciate that good music and singing, choir. Luke chapter number 1. Verse number 67 down through verse number 79. This is known as Zacharias' song or Zacharias' prophecy. It's also called the Benedictus, and that is because in verse number 68, where it begins with, Blessed be the Lord God in Latin, that is Benedictus. And so, just like uh, you know, notice earlier in the chapter of Luke, Mary's song is called the Magnificent, and that's because it is taken from that as well. Luke 1, verse number 67 through 79. This is my second favorite portion of Scripture, probably in the entire Bible. I just... I love this. So let's read it together. You read silently. I'll read for us corporately. It's our church, and then we'll see what the Lord has to say. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he has swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days." And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His way, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God with which the sunrise or day spring or branch, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those that sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then verse 80, just simply to close out, it goes back to the narrative, and the child, that is John the Baptist, and the child continued to grow, to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public ministry appearance in Israel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for a few moments. Our Lord, we love you and thank you for all that you have done for us. And thank you for this uh, Sunday as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the good music and Bible study hour, time of prayer and giving. Thank you for the baptisms, Lord, and those that reflect the, the gospel themselves. Now we pray for the real manifest presence of Jesus Christ through your spirit and by the decree of God the Father that the very Trinity from on high would be present with us uh, this day and every day of our life. And as we break the bread of life, please teach us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Lord, I pray that if there are folks here today that do not know you as Savior, that they would think carefully and clearly, and yet that they would think with an open mind and the Spirit of God would teach them truth and that they would trust you. I pray for believers here today that we would conform our lives 
to Jesus. And that, Lord, not just today and in a few days, but every day of the year that we would live to the glory of God in lives of holiness and righteousness, bending our knee before King Jesus. And we will love you and thank you for it is in the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen. Uh, singing this past week, I, I heard a guy in an interview and he said that December 26th, December 26th was the most depressing day of the year for him. And I listened to his explanation. He said, well, because from Thanksgiving all the way to December 25th, there's nothing but buildup and anticipation and uh, all kinds of songs on the radio and festive season and everybody's happy. And whether you're a believer or not a believer, it's just a warm, spirited, good time of year. And then when the 26th happens, it's all gone for another 364 days. And I can't help but think that there are people in the world who really do think that way. And in fact, our society, our culture is geared toward building us in anticipation for some sort of particular warm-hearted, sentimental event, and then it's off to the races for the next year. In fact, there are many radio stations, even in our own city, who play nonstop, 24-hour-a-day Christmas music from Black Friday to December 25th. And on December 26th, if you turn on the radio, you hear Chicago or Journey playing in the background. You know, brothers and sisters, I would say that that's not the way that we want to live our Christian life. That's not the song that we sing. The message of the song that we sing as believers should echo in our minds and in our hearts and in the very way that we live our life, not just on December 25th or the month leading up to it, but every week and every day of the year, there ought to be the message of the gospel and the message of the good news of Jesus that resounds both from our throat and from our heart and from our hands and our feet and our mind that we ought to be living out the Christmas song that is found in this very passage. This is a, a, a song here. In fact, you'll find that in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, the narrative of the birth of Christ and his young childhood, there are four songs found in this passage that uh, really you can wrap the whole narrative around. In fact, look down at your Bible. I'll just point them out to you. You probably have a version of Scripture that sets off chapter 1, verse 46 to 55 in a different kind of looking language or structure. Do you see that? You probably have it. It looks like a poetic structure. It is. It's a poem. It's a song. That's Mary's song. And then you'll notice the second one that we'll look at today, verse 67 to 79, looks different than the rest of the text in your Bible. For the most of your translations, it will. It's because it's poetic language. And then if you were to turn over to chapter number two and look at verse number 14, you would see the same basic structure, only much smaller as the angels prophesy and sing the birth of the Lord Jesus, and then closer to on to the end, verse number 29 through verse number 32, when they take the Lord Jesus up to the temple, Simeon there prophesies and gives a song. So you'll see those four songs really mark out the narrative of the birth and the early childhood of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Mary, Zacharias, the angels, and Simeon, the priest. Today we want to look at this second one of Zechariah, and you would find that really the main idea that I want you to leave here today is this. Since Christ has come, will you live a life that sings to the glory of God? 
And will you do that not just today, but will you do that every single day, the rest of your life, at least in the next year? Will you make a point in your life not to be like this person that I heard that said there's a, a, this climax, this expectation of the 25th of December, and then all of that is gone and it's on to the next thing. Instead of leaving your song in the background of December 25th, will you learn from this song today and sing the song of your Christian life, the song of the testimony of Jesus, every day of your life. See, that is the question for us today. That is what we need to focus our lives and our minds on. Since Jesus has come and we see all of this singing going on in Luke 1 and Luke 2, will you sing along in your own heart? Will you sing to the glory of God with your mouth and with your life? I will tell you this, because you have family members that you'll see in a few days, you have co-workers that you've been uh, with, you have friends, and all kinds of people that are peering into your life. And what they really want to know without asking you is, is all that you have, is it simply sentimentality? Is what you have is eggnog and a log in the fire and a warm evening uh, around the fire and singing songs? Is all of that, is that what you have or do you have something that transforms your life in a radical way that causes you to sing to the glory of God with your mouth and with your life every day of the year? So is there is there something different about you than the people that are on the Hallmark movies? Do you have the kind of religion, do you have the kind of truth in your soul that in the 2019 when uh, things don't go your way and it's not all happy holidays and death comes and cancer comes and problems come and trials come, do you have the kind of Christianity that will cause you to sing in the joy of Jesus even in the heartaches of life? That's what the lost world really wants to know. So, as you start to sing your song this year, maybe we can look at this passage and learn a little bit from Zacharias and see what we can put in our lives. Here's the first point today. Only three small points today. Here it is, the first one. Your song should begin and end by worshiping Jesus Christ. The song that you sing after the 25th should begin and end in the way that you live and the way that you speak by the worship of Jesus Christ. Look back at the text. I'll just show you how I, how I found that. Look at verse number 68 down through, say, verse uh, number 75. And then we're going to take a break for a couple of verses, and you're going to pick up again in verse 78. Notice what happens here. Look, well, follow with me. Look at, verse number, uh, look at verse number 76, first of all. Zacharias says, and you child. And when you see that, he's speaking about John the Baptist, his, his son, right? He's speaking about the son that God has given his wife, Elizabeth, out of all of their long years and heartache without any children. God has blessed them in old age and they have a child who's going to set the four standard for the Lord Jesus to come. And in verse number 76, it says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. But here's what I want you to see. There are verses before verse 76, and there are verses after verse number 76. And the beginning and the end of Zacharias' song is not about his newborn son. You see, him and Elizabeth have gone all these years longing and desiring and wishing that God would bless them with a child. And they've cried tears and pain and agony. And now they're rejoicing at all that God has given them. He's not only given them a baby boy, but he's going to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Zacharias begins to sing, 
It's not about what was given to him, it's about Jesus. And the song that you sing this next year is not about what you uncover under the Christmas tree on the 25th, but it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if He doesn't take preeminence, and if He isn't the center of our life, then I beg you this year to take your song and make it the kind of song that begins and ends with Jesus. Be happy for sure with what you get. Be excited with the blessings you have. Wonderful family and wonderful friends and good health and all of the many blessings in your life. But don't forget to begin and end your whole life with worship of Jesus Christ. Because there might come a time in your life where all of those things are taken away like Job and you might find yourself in a place where you would say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My security and my identity is not in what I have or what I don't have or who I know or what relationships I'm in. My security and identity is in Jesus Christ alone. Let me just point out for sake of time today two figures of speech about Jesus in the first part and in the second part of the text And let's just meditate on it for a minute. First of all, look back, if you will, at verse number 68 and following. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. Verse 69. And He has raised up a horn of salvation for us In the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Here's the first figure of speech. Jesus was referred to here as, by Zacharias as our horn of salvation. Now, in the Scripture, there are a couple of different types of horns that are referenced. There is the kind of horn that you play uh, maybe at the entrance of a king uh, or maybe as a battle cry when you go out to war. They play these horns. You know, when I read that earlier this week, I couldn't help but think of the old Ricola commercials. You know what I'm talking about? They got the long horn. I used to think of the Ricola uh, commercials about that, but now I watch so much Mickey Mouse with my oldest son, there's one where Minnie is trying to uncover all the stuff that are stuck in the long horns, and the guy blows out and Minnie goes sailing into the snowman. Everybody see that? Raise your hand. All right, I'm all on an island. That... Mama, you know. You've... Okay. That's not the kind of horn that's being spoke of here. The kind of horn that's being spoke of in here is the horn on a mighty animal. It speaks of power and dignity, fear and protection. I was thinking this week and just kind of meditating on that for a little while and I want you just to climb inside of that text for a moment and realize that what he's talking about here is the horn on a mighty animal. And he's saying Jesus Christ is like that horn of salvation. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is to be feared appropriately. He is there for protection. He is all inspiring to our hearts. 
And I was thinking, and I was talking with a friend of mine that I've been kind of working through this text with down in Florida. And I said to him, I said, uh, I said, just think for a minute, like, there's three different ways that you might think about this. Maybe you look on television and you see, uh, you see a, a long-horned bull, uh, you know, some documentary, and you see it through the screen and you say, man, that's a majestic animal. Look at the horns on that bull. Look at the antlers on that deer. Look at the horns on that ram. And maybe you, you watch it on television, maybe the Discovery Channel, and you see those horns clashing against, and you said, that is ma majestic. But there's a different kind. There's something a little closer. Now let's say instead of seeing it on the television, you go to the zoo. And you see at the zoo a powerful, untamed bull with massive horns, and you're there in person. You're not viewing it on a screen. You're seeing it up close. There's something more than just saying at a distance on the screen. That's majestic. No, there's a little bit of fear. There's, a, there's something inside that says that's, that's not just a tame animal. That's a dangerous animal. But yet there's something about the barriers and the uh, captivity of the bull that always reminds you that you are at a safe distance. But now I want all of you to travel with me for a moment and think about you and me together at the running of the bulls. I know your first thought is this, Pastor Steve, you in trouble because you don't run too fast. <laughs> too much laughter. Now here's what I want you to think about. Those bulls come out and there we are standing and a 700-pound bull with two-and-a-half-foot-long horns stares you in the face, and there you are without any protection, without a screen, without an exhibit. You are fully in the presence of untamed power. Are you with me there? Something different in your heart, isn't it? We're not even physically there, but you know there's something different. You've been in the presence of something with power that you didn't have control over. This is what I want you to know. God is dangerous. And He is not to be played with. And Christ Jesus is untamed power and authority. And you may think right now in your life that you're in control and you're calling the shots and you run your budget and you buy what you need to buy and you do what you need to do and you're in control until life puts you in the kind of place where you realize that your plans and your ideas are falling short and you're ruining your life. Salvation and Christianity and Jesus is not a bull on television to say that looks majestic. He is not a bull in captivity in which you can admire and like and even be somewhat uh, fearful of the power, but you know you get to walk away from at the end of the day. Salvation in Jesus is to walk into the very presence of the untamed power of the One who created the universe. 
He has the power to destroy and the power to restore, the power to kill and the power to make alive. And here's the wonderful good news. He is good. And He's to be feared. And when you find yourself appropriately fearing the One who has all of the power, and you bow your life and your heart before Him, and you say, I can't compete with you. I'm trying to be the one with all the power in my life. I can't do that. I want you to be in control. All of that power and all of that authority is now set upon His people for our protection, for our mercy, for our defense. Where at one point, the bull is coming toward us in rightful judgment. Now, Christ Jesus, the horn of salvation, is defending us against all the powers of darkness. And so what God wants us to do is to kind of take that, right? You were with me for a moment. You, you know you've been there before where you're standing in the presence. Maybe you were in the middle of the ocean. Maybe you've been in a, a, a tornado or a hurricane. Maybe you've been somewhere where something in nature or in the world has shown you some bit of majestic, authentic, untamed power. And all of that points to the power of God in Christ. And the right response for every human heart, lost and saved, is to bow before Him and to say, you're in control. Not only does he have the power, let me show you the other figure of speech. Look down on the other end of Zacharias' song. Verse number 78. It says, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And then look what it says here. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Brothers and sisters, I'll have you know there, look at that figure of speech. Christ is said to be the sunrise. Your, your, your translation may say the day spring. In the Greek Old Testament, this same word that is translated here, day spring or sunrise, it is actually translated in the book of Isaiah as the branch. In Isaiah chapter 9, in Isaiah chapter number 11, in Isaiah chapter number 6, it's speaking about the tender branch who is the promised Messiah that when everything else is burned over, there will be the root of Jesse, that small branch that shoots up and gives hope to those people. And then it speaks here of that sunrise in the morning that shines the light of Jesus upon all of those that sit in the darkness of our sin. Won't you think with me for just a moment about that light? 
It, it kind of operates in two ways. First of all, it shines on those that sits in darkness to give them light. You know, Jesus said this, that, John said this, men love darkness rather than light, and that's the truth. Every human being in the world who is sinful, we, we love our darkness. That's the reason why we want to do our sin when nobody's around. That's the reason why we cover things up. That's the reason why we hide it. That's the reason why there are entire industries made up for people to hide under the cover of darkness their sins that they love so much. And into our lives and into our darkness and into our shame and our problems and our failures, into our mental instability, Jesus rises like the sun you ever, been, uh, you ever been in your house and uh, the, it's dark and you're walking around and you're trying to make it and, you're, and your eyes haven't quite adjusted to the dark yet and you step on a Lego piece and it makes you want to lose your religion? The problem is, is that with all of us who are not having, don't, don't have the sunrise of Christ in our life, we are walking in a perpetual darkness of our own life. And rather than stepping upon Lego pieces that make us just kind of not say a cuss word as hard as we can, we step on other people. We ruin relationships. We hurt hearts. We damage souls. We do irreparable damage to others and to ourselves. And we walk around with guilt and shame and darkness and heartache and brokenness. And the world is filled with broken people. But if you'll look to the east, you'll see Jesus rising with healing in His wings and love in His heart and light that will flood your soul with His goodness and His mercy and His kindness. He'll take away the night. He'll take away the darkness. He'll take away your sin. And He'll give you a new heart and a new life. Aren't you thankful for the end of that as well? Not only does the sun rise from on high shine unto those who sit in darkness... What does it say? To guide us into the way of peace. You see, Jesus Christ operates both in a saving way and in a sanctifying way. That's just a big word to say this. Jesus will save you and Jesus will guide you. There are people in this room today and you are not a Christian. There are people in this room today who you think that you are a Christian, but you're not. You made some sort of religious experience early on, but it has no transforming effect upon your life. And some are sincerely lost and struggling in the darkness to see the light of Jesus. I want to tell you that if with a humble and a sincere heart you look to Jesus and say, I'm lost, I'm in darkness, I need you, I'm unclear in my mind, I'm ruining things, I'm breaking things, I need you. If you'll call out to Him, He'll shine into your life His grace and mercy. And when you believe on Him, He'll change you from the inside out. Here's the marvelous thing for my believers this morning. Not only does He save you, but He walks with you every day of your life. 
and He guides you into the path of peace. He teaches you how to live a different kind of life. See, true believers are those who have found real reality. And we are living in the power of Jesus daily. Well, let me give you a second point. The song that you sing this year, it ought to be the kind of song that begins and ends with Jesus Christ. The song that you sing this year every day ought to be the kind of song that remembers the faithfulness of God. Look back down at the text. Look what it says in verse 69 and following. And He raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of David His servant, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father. Brothers and sisters, the song that we sing with our mouth and with our life every day, not just on Christmas Day, is the kind of song that ought to remember the faithfulness of God. Where has God been faithful? I would say in the text, God has been faithful through His Word. You see what it says there? That He spoke by the prophets in old time, that He was faithful to Abraham and faithful to the prophets. God is faithful by giving us His Word. The written revelation, it is the authority of the Word. It is inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. And for my non-religious people, let me just simply say, when we say those kinds of statements, we are declaring to the entire world that the Bible that you have in your hand is the very Word of God that it's trustworthy, that it's right. Not that some of it is trustworthy, not that the red letters that Jesus spoke are trustworthy, but from the very beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, God has been faithful to entrust His people with His written Word. And it will not fail. So this year, every day of your life, the song that you sing with your life should be remembering the faithfulness of God in His Word. How about this? What about the faithfulness of God's mercy in your life and in your family's life? God has saved you when you did not deserve it. God has been merciful to give to you, to love you, to provide for you. God has had mercy upon mercy upon mercy in your life. You might be here today and say, well, I'm not a believer, but I think you could probably look back in your life right now and think, man, there's a time where I should have died and I didn't. God's mercy. There was a time when I could have lost everything and I didn't. God's mercy. There is a time where I was going down the wrong path and ruining things. There's a time when things could have gone the wrong way. God's mercy, God's mercy, God's mercy. Every moment of your life where you can think about, wow, that should have turned out another way. God's saving, marvelous mercy. Handing out grace after grace after grace. Not only when you were going bad, but even in the benefits 
even living in the land that you live and the money that you've made and the home that you've made and the blessings that you have, all of that is God pointing you to the saving relationship of Jesus Christ. You ought to sing a song that remembers God's faithfulness in His Word, God's faithfulness in His mercy in your life. And what about this? God's mercy or God's faithfulness in His covenant. Oh, well, Pastor Steve started using big words. <laughs> Simply speaking, you see where it says that he remembered that covenant that he made with Abraham? Hey, brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to know. You say, why, why should I remember God's covenant with Abraham? Because here's the thing. That covenant never goes off the scene. It's the covenant, let me explain it to you in Steve terms. The, the general gist of the covenant of the Bible is this that even when you're not faithful, God will be. You can study all the covenants, Davidic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant. You can study all the covenants you want, but the basic fundamental gist of the covenant of God with humanity is when you're not faithful, God will be. And you might be in here today, and, and you might just kind of be cringing, thinking, Oh man, Pastor Steve, if you just knew me and how much I've failed and all the places where I've messed life up and Pastor Steve, I can't even go back and fix it. I would if I could, but it's broken. You're like that child that brings, a, that brings the Tonka truck to a parent and, and has destroyed it, busted the wheels off, right? And there's dad or mom with the little toy in the hand and, and, and the child says, fix, fix, fix. And what do you do? <laughs> gorilla glue it? You and I, gorilla glue, duct tape, distraction, and go to Walmart and buy another one? I don't know. You do whatever you have to do. But as an adult, don't you know in your heart every time you think about that kind of situation that you're not really fixing? You're just simply mending, duct taping, gluing. You're, you're just trying to do the best you can. The covenant of God is this. You bring your life to Him today and you say, it's broken. And God, through Christ Jesus, has the power to take your life from you. And not just simply to glue it back together, but to take out all the parts that are broken and to put all of the parts that are new and right inside. And when He gives it back to you, it's not just as good as new. It's better. And not only that, He promises that every time you break it, He'll always be with you to fix it. You say, Pastor, that sounds kind of scandalous. That, you're, you're saying, yes, at, at the risk of that, I want you to understand that the covenant of God and the song that we sing that remembers His faithfulness is we fail, we don't uphold the end of our bargain. You see, it's not looking at God and saying, you do your part and I'll do mine. If I ever get out of this condition, I'm going to serve you forever. If things ever get better, I'll give my life to you. Lord, I'm going to tie a knot at the end of the rope and hold on and I'm going to be all right. Brothers and sisters, I want all of you in the room to understand that's not at all what it is. All of us have burned it to the ground and failed. 
And God comes along and says, I know that. But I love you. And I'll fix it. Now when you wake up on the 25th, you had better remember that that baby in the manger is the one that makes all of this possible. God gives His Son into the world so that you could take all of the brokenness of your life and lay it down before Him. And God gives the greatest gift in the world, His Son, to redeem you, to buy you, to fix you, to make you new. That's worth singing about, isn't it? That's worth living about. Here's the last point. We want to sing the kind of song that makes Jesus the beginning and the end. We want to sing the kind of song that remembers God's faithfulness. And we want to sing the kind of song with our life that is actually lived and not just verbal. Look back down at the text real quick. A couple minutes, we'll be finished. Look at this here. Uh, Verse 72 and following. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him. I'll just pause there for a minute. You know, this week I was kind of reflecting, pondering, thinking about that verse and those two little phrases there, serve Him and before Him. Really what happens is that the latter part there is just when it says before Him means like in front of His face. Now, won't you leave here today and just think about Christmas and everything that's coming. And don't, don't let those songs leave off. Let your life be this kind of way that you serve Him and you live before Him. Why don't you make an effort to sing that kind of song? Not, don't just come in here. Look, a lot of lost people, they come in and they're skeptical. They, they see people that are supposed to love Jesus and we sing songs, we raise hands, we're all about getting happy and then when they see us out there in the real world, we're honking just as hard at them on the road as everybody else. Where, uh, the things we say, the things we do, the places we go, there's no real difference in our life and their life and so when they see us singing one thing and living another way, it turns them off. But see, the message of the gospel is this, that we are supposed to serve Him and live before Him. Why don't you just let that be in your mind? Serve Him and before Him. Be be in front of His face. And what does that look like in your life? To serve God. When you go to your work every day, do you go to your work with the mentality that you're serving God by the way that you work? That you're going to give your employer a good day's work because it's right to do and because it honors God? When you talk with your family, when you speak with friends, when you engage with one another and other people, Do you serve people as if you're serving God? 
You see, because that puts it on the relationship, puts it on the well, cookies on the bottom shelf, right? If I say to you, leave and serve God, you can leave that out in an ethereal world out there in heaven. I'm serving God. But when I ask you to treat other people as if they were Christ, it changes everything. And do you live your life before His face? Doesn't that have two connotations? Some of you in here, I know, I know our people, some of you in here are thinking, yeah, i got to live before His face, this, uh, this judgment. And I, saw, I saw somebody sent me a meme that was kind of funny that said, um, it had a picture of Santa Claus, and it said, he gives a gift one day a year and judge, pronounces judgment on everybody the rest of the year. Right? We don't want to be that kind of person. And I don't want you to view God like that. There is a sense in which, as a believer, we live our life before God, and we are to be righteous and holy. But isn't it also true that God is with us? And so in all that we do, we live holy because we are in front of His face, and He doesn't want His children to be uh, openly in sin. And yet at the same time, when we live before His face, you are constantly able to look back and say, Father, help me. Hold my hand. I have a friend of mine, his little boy is a couple of months away from being two, and they got all the decorations up in the house, and he's a little nervous about snowmen, you know, snowman. And so uh, his mom put the, put the snowman upstairs out of sight. But every time, he comes through the, every time he comes through the hallway now, he still goes, mine, mine, mine. He knows where the snowman was. And so now, every time he comes through the hallway, he sticks his hand up and he says, hand, hand, hand. Why don't you live your life this next week sticking your hand and your heart up to God and saying, hand, hand, will you walk with me? Will you help me? Will you lead me? Will you teach me? And serve Him and live before Him, holy and loved. I wonder what your song will look like this next year. I wonder what your song will look like on Wednesday. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Sunday before Christmas, the Lord is good. Jesus is going to be born into the world and give men and women and boys and girls hope through salvation. Zacharias is singing this song. He's singing about Jesus. He's remembering God's good faithfulness. And he's making his song a living reality in his life. Would you just search your heart for just a moment? Let's ask the Lord, is there any part of that sermon, is there any part of that text that just resonates right where you are? <laughs> just, maybe just pray right there. You might be thinking, Pastor Steve, it does. The text reaches me, but not in a word you said. The Lord's used it in another way. That's okay. I just want God to get the glory and you to receive help. 
Would you just think about that text for a moment? Is there any place in your life right now where you would be honest with the Jesus and just say, yeah, okay, I need, I need to work on that and I'm thankful for you and your mercy. For my believer friends, would you just do that? If you're in this room today, you don't know Jesus. You're an unbeliever. Hey, I want you to know <laughs> nobody here hates you. In fact, we love you. And I just want to ask you right now where you are. Is there any part of that text, any part of that truth that uh, you don't have to confess to anybody? You're not going, you're not talking to some priest or something like that, or you don't have to tell me. But just in your heart right now, you say, man, I'm, I'm a ways away from just full on embracing that, but there's something in there that really sounds good about Jesus. I know I'm messed up. He seems really good. I have questions. I, I'm not sure, but will you just work that through in your life next few days? I want you to know that He loves you. That He died for you. That He rose again. And these are not just doctrines to be affirmed. They are realities to be lived. And there is new life that you can have. And if God works on your heart, my encouragement to you is to run to Him with your mind and heart. Cast everything that you have on Him and trust Jesus. It's the greatest decision that you'll ever make in your life. All right, church family, let's, let's stand together. Let's sing a couple of, couple of stanzas of this good song. Ah, let's go tell this truth of the mercy of Jesus this week. Sing with us, would you? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.